When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody and welcome to the Royal Blue Podcast on this momentous day as Everton Park company with Frank Lampard following a string of poor results. To discuss Frank Lampard's sacking and where Everton go next, I'm joined by our Everton correspondent Joe Thomas and our Everton reporter Chris Beasley to look back on what has been a pretty grim day for the football club, but one that was always coming, always felt like it was coming for a couple of weeks. Joe, we'll get straight off. A lot of other reporters broke up long before the club released any sort of statement saying that Frank Lampard has lost his job. He'd been sacked as Everton manager. What were your immediate reaction when that news broke? Well, I mean, it certainly wasn't a surprise. I think there was an air of uh, inevitability about this, and there has been for quite some time, if I've been perfectly honest. I think really the surprise is that he, he stayed in position after Brighton. You know, that, to me, felt like the obvious time. A few people are saying that you know, that they, they could have got rid of him after the, the terrible week before the World Cup break, the, the defeat to Leicester and then the double defeat at Bournemouth. And, and I had some sympathy for that view, but really I thought that was still too early. You know, 180 minute Premier League minutes before the World Cup break, they were we were we were at Goodison Park ahead of the Leicester game, thinking if they win this, which didn't seem unfeasible after the point at Fulham and the win at Palace, which were the two preceding games. You know, win would have sent Everton into the top half, and things felt relatively positive then. Um, obviously, that week unfolded absolutely terribly, but you did then have the World Cup break to try and arrest the slide. I think that. I think, if anything, the World Cup break did probably prolong Everton and um, Frank Lampard's Everton career. I don't know if they would have got themselves out of that, you know, downward trajectory if they hadn't had an enforced break to stop it themselves. Uh, and clearly, I mean, they didn't because even after that World Cup break, even after that six weeks to look at everything, they they continued in the same fashion, defeat at home to Wolves. Obviously, there was the, the, the false dawn of the point at Man City in the performance there. It did feel like Frank Lampard's players were clearly fighting for him. It was a good performance and a good result. It probably could have been better if Erlen Haaland had been sent off, which I think he should have done for his tackle on, on Vitaly Mikolenko. But then after that, you had the Brighton game, and it was just so many factors in the Brighton game. It wasn't just the result. It wasn't just the overall performance. But, you know, that, that six-minute capitulation, it was humiliation, and you could just sense the shell-shocked nature of the fan base. And you could sense that from Lampard when he came out and did his press conference after that. You know, it was clear that he, I think even he was stunned by it. Obviously, they kept him on. Played, you know, they went to they went to Old Trafford. A lot of people are saying that if he lost that game, that he'd go. They did lose that game, and he didn't go. Um, and then you'd think, well, maybe Southampton will be the final straw if they were to lose. Uh, but then, obviously, once Farhad Mashiri came out and did that you know, farcical interview and on Talksport, having just done the open letter, which probably raised more questions and answers the day before he came out. He backed Frank Lampard. So at that point, you thought, well. Surely the Southampton can't be make or break because of everything he's just said. But obviously, got to West Ham. It was another bad result. It was another disappointing performance. Really, it got to the point now where if it was with a fortnight until the next game, with you know just over a week of the transfer window left, 
now has to be the right time to push the button, I think. And, and, and I, you know, I feel disappointed that Fan Lampard's gone. I liked him a lot. He was very good to work with. He was honest. He was proud. He was proud to be at this club. I think he understood the privileged nature of his position. And I think he desperately wanted to make it work. And, and believe me, we may well get onto this. The, the problems that he is, in, you know, he is a, a victim of the wider problems he's inherited. But at the end of the day, one win in 14 games, second from bottom, is a run that, regardless of what's going on off the pitch, you know, it's very, very difficult for to make an argument for him to stay on the results basis. And I think, to be honest, you know, I think, you know, as a man who's very big on taking personal responsibility for the situations that um, that, that demands it, I think Frank Lampard probably won't have any surprise himself. Because you're somewhat of a veteran now when it comes to covering Everton managerial mm-hmm. seconds. I think you've, you've covered every one of the, the, the departures under Farhad Mashiri. Yeah. Joe's right, though, isn't he? He's been somewhat of an inevitability about this one for a while, and, and it's one that everyone saw coming, essentially. Yeah, um, football managers, all football managers uh, are based on, on results, and from a results point of view, this is as bad as, it, as it's ever been. Even before we had the, the trip to West Ham United at the weekend, Everton had the lowest ever points haul halfway throughout a, a Premier League season. Now, Frank would often try and flip that around. He'd say he inherited a, a team in a relegation battle, which he very much did. And as Joe has spoken about, he was a unifying force, um, which, which was great. It was just what, what they needed um, after Rafael Benitez. But Benitez didn't lose his job because he was a former Liverpool manager. He lost it because of those results. And that was one um, win in 13. And uh, Lampard's ended up with one win in, in 14. And... Uh, um, I think with uh, 11, 11 defeats within that sequence, including is it something like seven out of the last eight or something like that. Um, it's just not been good enough, not been anywhere near good enough. And uh, I think he will in, he'll, he'll acknowledge that himself. He's a very intelligent man. He's known throughout the football world. He's one of the cleverest men in football. And um, he'll know in his heart of hearts that that's not good enough. This isn't exactly by any stretch of the imagination um, a vintage Everton team, but um, I would certainly hope that that um, they've been less than the sum of their parts. That they're that they're not to be joint bottom of the Premier League, which is their current position, um, and that um, any manager worth the salt would be getting more out of this player. As we um, we've talked about um, how he has been unfortunate with um, various aspects of, of the job and. Charleston going last summer was always going to be a huge miss for Premier manager, especially not being able to bring it. I think it was unfortunate that Dominic Carver Lewin got injured at the start of the season. But you can't just continue with this mantra that I came into a relegation battle. This is this is worse than it than it ever was. Results worse than even under Benitez, who at least got a good start at the start of of his um, season, and he would also say, "Oh, we're only a couple of points." But like, there's only a couple of points separating the bottom seven of the division. But like I say, in terms of positions-wise, it's the worst ever have ever been. And uh, they're on course. They remain on course for a first relegation in 72 years. And unless there's a, a, a major change around in fortunes, and I think Frank Lampard was to have stayed in in the job at Everton, we're only heading one day, and that one way, and that was down. They still could be, but at least with a change, it does give an opportunity for something that's just short of a half a season to go. But there is, there's a chance that things could um, get better, but certainly they were only going one way on, on the Frank, unfortunately, because as Joe said, he's 
you know, he's, an, he's a good man, he's an honest man, he's a very affable character, and uh, obviously, he was a hugely successful footballer. But as a manager, it's, it's just not worked out for him. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Joel, that's the, the big question that around Frank Lampard and one that, you know, ultimately has grew week and week, certainly since the Premier League resumed off the World Cup is could another manager get more out of this Everton squad? And unfortunately for Frank Lampard, many people believe that another manager could get more out of this squad from what we've been seeing. Yeah, well, I mean, one win in 14 games, what's it, 15 goals in, in 20 Premier League matches, 15 points in, in, in 20 Premier League matches. Second from bottom, only separated above Southampton by goal difference. You know, it, with all due respect to Lampard, it's those numbers suggest that you couldn't get any less out of the group of players. Mm. Now, obviously, it, you know we may well see over the course of the season that you know he really is a, a wretched squad, and actually he's done well to get the points that he has done out mm. of it. But I think it's got to the point now where you say what he is getting out isn't enough and need to stay up. So you've got to take the chance of getting somebody in that can get a little bit more, you know, I think it will be a, a challenge. I don't, I mean, obviously Everton a week are going into this relegation battle than they were at this stage last season. You know, they don't have the the points in the bag that they got from the positive start that they had at the beginning of last season. They don't have their talisman Richarlison and they don't, or, what it's questionable at the minute to what state the 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 relationship with the fan base in the club is given events over the the past week or two so you know obviously everton fans will do absolutely everything they can to help make sure that everton stay in the premier league but it's being made incredibly difficult for them at the minute and i think that's probably almost one of the the most frustrating things of this you you feel like, regardless as to what you view of, of Lampard as a manager, the one legacy that you thought would you would hope that he would have was that ability that he had to unite the fan base and the club together as, as, as he did, and they worked so powerfully together at the back end of last season to keep Everton up. Having worked his magic to bring them together, you know, You'd hope it would stay that way, but unfortunately, and obviously we've covered the events of the past few weeks in, in, in Royal Blues, so we don't need to go back into them. But unfortunately, it feels like the one thing that he did do that was undeniably a success, unfortunately, that's been squandered as a legacy by the decisions of the people above him and you know, and, and, and obviously has is, is undermined the, the club as they've tried to kind of put results together as well because obviously you know, it has been a difficult backdrop, difficult context for the players to work in over the recent weeks. So... So, yeah, so I mean, I, I think now is definitely the right time to see if somebody else can get more out of this group of players. It's going to be really interesting to see what they do and what ideas they do. You know, you know I, I, I'd, be, I'd be fascinated to see see what, see what they do. Don't go too in depth because you are going to come to okay. where I go next. So okay. Okay. Hold, hold them close. <laughs> but just on Frank Lampard, please, where did it go wrong for him? Because going into the new yeah. season, there's a lot of optimism there. People were, you know, fully behind him. I don't think there's been an effort manager. Who the fans have got invested in behind for probably since David Moyes, if, if we're being honest, yeah. and maybe Carl Anschlossy a little bit when he first arrived, but certainly that optimism and raw hope and, and just almost they want him to do well. You know, this was a manager Everton fans were desperate for to do well. Yeah. An okay start, but where's it gone wrong for? Yeah. As you mentioned, that, that's a genuine thing with the fans. It's only the second Mashiri hiring 
to um, to have his name chanted positively by the, the, the Everton supporters. And the only other one was um, Carlo Ancelotti, who's a legendary figure within the game, is as successful as any club manager out there. So it was always obvious that the club that the fans would be taking him to heart. But Frank Lampard, very limited experience at Derby County and Chelsea. So for that, that from day one, from that FA Cup game at Brentford, that was a big thing. Um, ultimately, it, it, it's not enough um, to get the fan base to to bring it. It was great that Everton could have that at the, at the time, but ultimately you've got 39,000 candidates for the Everton manager's job if just getting the Everton fan base is enough. But in terms of where it went, where it went wrong, um, I think the first um, major issue was um, was Dominic Calvert-Lewin's uh, injury on the on the eve of the season because yeah, um, Richarlison two years left on his contract. Unfortunately, it's, it felt that that was the, the, the right time to go, and there was a certain inevitability about that. But when you got your, your main goal scorer, who'd already had injury problems the season before, you were hoping for a fresh start for him. That really threw a spanner in the works at, at the start of the season, but. In, Everton was sort of bobbing along, kind of doing enough. And as we say, going into that Leicester City weekend on bonfire night with the opportunity to go into the top half of the table, they they, they were doing enough. It wasn't it wasn't spectacular, but there wasn't any sort of concerns that the, the wheels were about to um, to fall off. And I would go back to um, that double header at, at Bournemouth. Um, I think it was a self-inflicted wound in terms of Frank shooting himself. In the foot, it was either a uh, very arrogant or a very weak decision to go with 11 holes. It'll change, change the entire team for, for Bournemouth. You know, it's not kids' football. He doesn't have to give everyone a game. I know he could say, well, I need these players further down the line. But didn't need to do it. Everton should be taking the domestic cup competitions um, seriously and the longest silverware drought in the club's history currently. And uh, I think you can make a few changes. But to go wholesale, whole new team, um, I said it's either it's either weak in that he's he's given into players or he, he's showing arrogance and not take seriously thinking that that second eleven would be good enough to go through as it proved they were well beaten by a Bournemouth second string I mean I think Bournemouth made nine changes but that was pretty damning that their second eleven was still able to batter Everton on a Tuesday night and then of course as Joe said a thousand miles of travel in a week we went down there again on the Saturday and uh, they were turned down turned turned over three 0 by Bournemouth's first team in the Premier League game, and just you know, to, to go into the Premier League's World Cup break like that was in the worst possible fashion. And it, it, as it's been proven since, I think those are the only two fixtures that Bournemouth have won in like their, their last like 10 not 12 games. Of the job. Like that. Yeah, well, yeah, on the back of that, um, yeah, they've won so emphatically, it's the only wins they, they, they've had, and then the nature of these, these other games since, um. I mean, to, to, to lose once to a bottom of the table side and home on Boxing Day to Wolves and then did it again against Southampton, that's got to be up there, isn't it? And then sort of the, the Premier League sort of quiz questions. Um, losing to two bottom of the table sides in, in the space of three um, home matches. As Joe says, I think that Brighton and Albion was seemed to be the natural point for him to go because, I mean, it was Brighton a very good team and he's shown against Liverpool since um, their credentials in that respect. But that was just... Shambolic, um, was it three goals in six second half minutes? It's interesting to know and sort of annoying. Just what did Everton do in this um, six week break? Um, other than um, go down to Australia and uh, see Western Sydney uh, Wanderers, a much lesser opposition than anyone you're going to face in the Premier League, other than 
give um, them a good tonking and enjoy um, some fun in the sun in front of their Aussie fans, which sort of interesting juxtaposition to those those um, images at Bournemouth where the, 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 the diehard fans who follow Everton home and away on a regular basis, if you look at that and then a bit of um, fun in the sun down under. Um, what did they actually do, though, in terms of coming back for the Premier League on, on Boxing Day and what's gone on since then? Because... I don't seem to see very much change in the pattern of play or anything. Tactical-wise, he's tweaked things, he's moving on, and backwards and forwards a little bit and things like that. And Wobie had a bit of a different role the other week at, um, in Southampton. But it's more or less been the same thing. And you're thinking, it was obvious what those problems were, getting the service into Calvert-Lewin and stuff like that. And it's nothing has really changed. And that's been... I think one of Frank's biggest downfalls, he doesn't. He didn't seem to be able to change matches when, Everton, when things weren't going their way, which lamentably became more and more often. Um, substitutions, um, options off the bench, changes in tactics. He didn't be able to seem to, to change games um, during games. And um, he, he said that one of his big things as a manager was he wanted to be a coach. He wanted to to improve um, players. And we've got Michael Ball's column coming up um, later on. And uh, he's questioning just how many players did improve on the Lampard. The Wobie obviously had that spell last season, but you really could be scratching your head of who's actually got better on, on the Franks. So, yeah, I'd, I'd probably point to that that double header at Bournemouth. But as I said, there's there are many uh, factors where he's perhaps been unfortunate. But that, that was a self-inflicted wound. Joe, you've obviously, you know, covered mm. Frank Lampard and Everton more in-depthly than anyone over the last, certainly the start of this season. Mm. You know, you've been at every game, you were in Australia with Lampard, you spoke to him on a regular, a weekly basis. Are you surprised about how quick this did all fall apart after Leicester? Because, you know, like you alluded to there, there was a bit of optimism going into Leicester, mm. you know, everyone found like they were finally going to pick, pick points up at home, grind up, grind points on the road and things were looking a lot brighter on the cover loom was obviously set to return stuff like a return stuff like that are you surprised how quick this is kind of all unraveled and, and how quickly frank lampard was left fighting for his job i mean you're sitting on the fence but yes and and no <laughs> kind of thing i think when we look back on it it's, it's actually unraveled pretty slowly if, if we now say that the unraveling began with that defeat at leicester i mean that was what nine weeks ago wasn't it so um, but I mean, the way in which things have unfolded this month, it really has. But the decision that the board have been left with has yeah, it has been made up for by the results. I mean, ultimately, Everton are in a relegation battle. I mean, in, in just post Christmas, they've lost at home to Wolves. They've lost at home to Southampton. They've lost away to West Ham. You know, all three teams in the relegation zone when Everton have played them. You, you throw the capitulation against Brighton in on top of that. And there just wasn't really a redeeming feature. The only thing that probably could have made a difference would be if, 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 if it if there was a belief that the club had the resources to seriously help Frank Lampard in this transfer window. And I think it's unfortunately it's pretty clear that they've not, uh, because they would have already helped him out by this stage. Every other club has moved. You know, we're right. We're, we're speaking here at half past five on the Monday night. By all accounts, you know, my understanding is that Arno Danjuma is, is pretty much there. Like I think he, he any announcement may well be delayed even further because I mean, I, I mean, by this time, I don't think Everton have even announced officially well, that Lampard is gone. Statements. So you know, so that I mean, the fact they haven't even put out that he's gone is 
in, I mean, read into that what you will. I mean, we, we, we talk about a broken club and a club in disarray. Well, there, there's an example of it. One thing that they will be trying to do is, is manage the PR so that when they do get signings over the door, they can hopefully bring back a little bit of optimism and maybe just start to, you know, sow the seeds of a platform to start bringing the fans back on side. Um, so it may well be that we have to wait for Dan Juma a little bit longer. I don't think he's quite signed the dotted line, but he, he's pretty much there. It's always a chance he has a last-minute change of heart. I haven't seen all this. Come on, I, I Joe, think... Don't be saying stuff like that now. <laughs> like, come, yeah, on. Lampard, Lampard, come on. Lampard, <laughs> yeah, Lampard, Lampard, like with a lot of players that signed over the summer, was clearly a big factor in Dan Juma mm. coming to, to Everton. But, um, you know, I think if... If the, if the if the club thought the and it, as I say it'd be quite telling with this next week or so, you know if the club had just been sitting there and actually they have got a little bit of money and they have got a few irons in the fire and they do think that two or three signs are going to come in that can make a genuine difference, then you know you probably keep Lampard. But you know I don't think they do. I think, I think the question is who can get the most out of this group of players. It's not going to change substantially. Um, and clearly, it's it's not been it's not been good enough from, from Frank Lampard. You know, it is it is a shame. I think I, I keep trying to look back at that first part of the season where obviously, obviously they didn't win many games, but they looked competitive. I remember, obviously, I mean, the Crystal Palace game was 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 you know, the high point of, of 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 what Frank Lampard was trying to achieve. I think at Everton, you know, he had the win away at Southampton where you know they showed some resilience. They came from behind. They got an away win. You had the win against West Ham, which was a big win that they needed at the time. But you also had the draw in the Merseyside derby where they really mm. went toe-to-toe with, with, with Liverpool. Obviously, we've seen how Liverpool have gone the rest of the season. Maybe it wasn't quite as as, as much of an achievement as, as it felt at the time. Um, but one of the things that there were people, in fairness, I wasn't one of them. There were people, in fairness, that were saying that the underlying numbers, even through that run, were, were bad. And mm. Evan was still reliant on a lot of brilliant saves from Jordan Pickford just to be getting the points yeah. that they were doing. And you wonder if actually, you know, I in my head, I view Lampard as very much an unlucky manager in his time at Everton. But, I mean, maybe he had a bit of luck to paper over the cracks of the first few weeks of the season. And actually, you know, this was always going to happen. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Bees, in terms of Frank Lampard, do you almost think though there is one area, the lack of activity, transfer activity this month, is the one area where he has been let down by the club? Because one thing about Frank was that he was very open from probably November time onwards. That Everton need, I think one of his quotes was actually, Everton, we need help. Yeah. We will need help in January. I know Joe spoke to him quite indefinitely about what he's in Australia. Yeah. Lampard was clearly looking for some sort of reinforcements this month. And as we sit here now on another 23rd of January, Everton are yet to sign a player and Lampard's been sacked and, and no one came through the door except Ella Sims, who was recalled from a successful loan spot. So is that the one area yeah. where you think Lampard can feel a little bit aggrieved that Everton didn't you know, roll the dice and bring some plays in earlier on the window? Yeah, I think he certainly looked at that. As, as it's been Joe's understanding for a, a long time now that um, the club have been targeting two attacking reinforcements for this window. And it's like you said, we're you know, three quarters way through mm-hmm. the window now and no one's through the door. I mean, on the flip side of that, um, with the situation last year, didn't we? Where they, um, the clubs, one of the club's most high-profile players, senior pro uh, Luca Dean, was allowed to be sold because he'd fallen out with the manager. The manager got sacked less than a month, uh, less than a week 
later and then you had his direct replacement i'm talking about the luca dean's direct replacement um vitaly mikolenko and um nathan patterson on the, on the right back position have both been signed and they again it was, it was a new manager i mean patterson has done well this season as it's troubled with injuries at times but he ended up not playing um apart from that half of 45 minutes got boring wood on, on the lampard so the situation where two players came through the door and then the the manager who signed them um, wasn't there so i just wonder was it all money or was it a bit of that in terms of effort and strategy or you could say lack of it during the, the January um, window? It, it's been obvious, hasn't it, from, from the start of the season where the issues are. And again, you could talk about Everton being unfortunate in that summer targets, people who they, they did go after then have done very well. And um, one of them has obviously gone to, um, to Chelsea for big money and uh, Kudos has gone on and, and done great things at Ajax and... Uh, he was one who was actually even closer to coming through the door, wasn't he? They thought they were actually very close to that one. And so they've been unfortunate in that respect. But yeah, they, they, they needed uh, more in, in that department. But it makes you, it makes you wonder who um, who actually had the final say on somebody like Neil Mope, because the club have already spent £15 million on, on a striker so far. And he, if he's one thing, he's not a direct replacement for Dominic Carver-Lewin. So... You're not going to go four four two and play them as each other in a sort of classic big man small man combo. Go back to four four two, depending on whoever and the point is manager. Maybe that will happen. I don't know. Um, yeah, they, it was obvious that they uh, that they that they needed uh, attacking reinforcements. But then it goes back to why do you spend all that money on Mope in the summer, who's got a decent Premier League track record, but then you don't play to his strengths. Similar with uh, Dwight McNeil, he was supposed to be providing the supply line across this to somebody like Carvert Lewin. It's just not happened for him he's been in and out the sides and doesn't have the the numbers so yeah it, it, it it's been very disappointing hasn't it i think all blues are frustrated at the, the lack of transfer activity even if it, it ends up coming now late in the month after after frank lampard's gone but it's similar to the summer in that they acted late in the window and there were games before that and then there's been games which they've played and lost in january without any new signings that's a big question now isn't you mentioned Evans board before joe mm. They now have a huge decision on their hands of who do they turn to next, because like we've you know alluded to on this podcast, Everton second bottom, they're in a terrible run of form. The squad looks you know deprived of any confidence. Players have, have simply been played out of form almost in, in recent weeks. Mm-hmm. If you're on that Everton board right now, who are you turning to 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 try and give Everton a lift in the fortunes? It's a really difficult one, isn't it? Because I think there's almost. Yeah, there, there, there are multiple factors to weigh up. You've, you've got the, the bigger project that Everton want to have, where they want to make progress. And you know, we talk about things like the strategic review, and you know, the, the pillars of that were very much a focus on sustainable progress, you know, developing youth, you know, unity across Finch Farm and the Liver Building, and you know, developing a style of play that they want to stick to. And obviously, I think the idea eventually is to get to a point where you're somewhere like Brighton and the whole machine keeps ticking over in a, in a positive fashion, you know, keeps going in the same direction regardless of managerial changes. Everton are a long, long way away from that. And it might, whilst it might be a noble ambition, whilst they, you know, behind the scenes director of football, Kevin Fowler has made some, you know, genuinely positive changes, I think, since he's, he's come in. Unfortunately, all that is working towards, you know, a goal that will only be realised in the long term. You're talking 18 months, two, three years down the line. At the minute, unfortunately, Everton are now in a situation where they're in a dogfight. There's no two ways about it. They can't have any illusions about where they are in, in the table. 
and, and, and the fact that this is going to be a very difficult end to the season. You add into the fact that any new manager bounce that you might get, well, it's going to be at home to Arsenal, top of the league, and away to Liverpool, first two games. Now, look, as I just said earlier, Liverpool are obviously you know less competitive perhaps than they were last season, but it's still going to be a very difficult task to go to to, to go to Anfield, and we all know how well Arsenal are doing at the moment. And that's going to be a fixture where there was already going to be a significant spotlight mm. around because we've got all the other questions around. But we know there's going to be a protest, a peaceful protest again ahead of that game. Will the directors be there? You know, we, we we don't know. So there's already going to be an absolute circus around that fixture, even before you bring in the potential for it to be a new manager's first game. You know, so at the end of the day, I mean, the ideal ideal scenario would be to have somebody that can, you know, galvanise the squad and 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 succeed in a dogfight and keep them up, and then almost move into a, a second. You know, onto a second platform after that, where they then go into long-term progress and forward planning. But those two managers are very different styles, unfortunately. I think, and and and, and the way in which the Premier League works, and obviously, it's so much short-termism around it. And you see it so often, you know, you know at, at other clubs as well, where you know clubs might come up, they fight, they fight, they fight to stay up, then they consolidate, and then they find themselves in this weird middle ground where they keep trying to be expansive and go for the long-term progress. It's, you know, Crystal Palace, you know, and West Ham are trying to do it and, and, and others around. And they keep going for the long-term progress. Unfortunately, they end up getting into trouble because it needs time and there isn't much patience in the Premier League. And they sack, they sack their visionary manager and then they bring in somebody to help them through the fight to keep into the end of the season. <coughs> you know, I think, unfortunately, you know, I, I don't think Everton can get too creative in this scenario. I think they need to bring somebody in who knows the terrain, they know the Premier League, they know what it takes just to get points in the Premier League. They know what it takes to make a side that doesn't have a significant amount of resources, doesn't have a lot of strength in depth, competitive. You know, the name that keeps obviously coming up, or, or one of them is, is Sean Dyche. Now, Sean Dyche took Burnley down last season. You know, he's not somebody like, say, you know, God forbid, Sam Allardyce, who, you know, when he came in, he's, one thing he had done is he always kept teams up. And obviously that, that record has is, is now gone mm. with him. But, you know, Sean Dice, you know, will get this team scrapping and it needs to scrap. He knows what it's like to be down, you know, to be down at the bottom. I mean, I spoke, my understanding is that no serious discussions have taken place with, with Dice or his representatives at this stage. Now, that might be because he's not in the running at all, or it might just be. And, and let's be honest, despite we'll all gasp in horror at this, but it might just be because no forward plan has been done whatsoever, which would be a disgrace if it has been the case. But, you know, I mean, it may well, it may well be, unfortunately. So, um, I mean, with Dice as well, I mean, one complication with, or potential complication with Dice is obviously there are a couple of former players in the Everton squad that, um, that are former Burnley players, sorry. So, you know, you, you particularly uh, McNeil and, and Tarkowski, who, who were at Burnley last season, and I'd be interested to see what his relationship with those players is like as well, and whether that will have an impact on, on, on whether he comes and goes, so, or, 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 so whether he comes or not. So the other one of the other names at the minute that's been mentioned a lot is, is Marcelo Bielsa, which obviously he knows the Premier League uh, and he knows coming into the Premier League and having a fight for survival. But um, I don't know if this group of players in the position that they're in it feels like Bielsa would be a bit of a gamble. You know, it feels like that's 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 a big change of of style and a big change in demands from the players. Um, 
if they get out of it, brilliant. Like, I mean, his lead sides were scintillating to, to watch at times. Well, but I mean, they're, they're, they're really entertaining to watch because, you know, every other game they were getting hammered. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, in other games, they were they were going on to win them. And, you know, I think, you know, we, we all want to see wins and attacking football and things like that. And, and you know, teams playing to a, to a style like that. But it'd be interesting. I mean, Bielsa will be nothing but interesting if he comes in. I'm not saying he couldn't do it. You know, I've seen one or two people mention Thomas Frank. I, I absolutely love Thomas Frank. I think he's a brilliant manager. He's done a stunning job at Brentford. You know, in the times that are dealt with him behind the scenes, he seems like a really nice person as well. But, I mean, tempting him to come from, I'm, you know, Everton is a huge club. It's much bigger than Brentford and things like that. But given where Everton currently are at the minute, given where Brentford currently are at the minute, given, given where his status is at the minute and given how little he will probably have to spend if he comes in and has any say with transfers if he was to come in now. Do you think it would be a difficult ask to tempt him to come to Merseyside at the minute? Bees, about yourself, any preferences? Yeah, I think that, as Joe says, given where Everton are at now and given who's available, Sean Dyche has to be the um, the the standout candidate in terms of um, if you're playing the, the percentages, if, you, if you're looking at what would seem a safe pair of, of hands. Um, he's he's the one who seems to be on everyone's lips. Um, it, 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 it's not an insignificant point, but I'll say just on, on, on a lighter note, but I'd have to take these things seriously because it was a thing when Benitez was appointed for different um, reasons. Uh, Dyche is a, is a boyhood uh, Liverpool fan, fan from afar, uh, growing up, uh, was it Kettering? Northamptonshire as well, but I mean, there's been plenty of uh, boyhood blues who've gone on to become cop idols over the years, so um, a bit of a change in that one. But I mean, you inevitably get the, the agent dice. But on a more serious note, as Joe said, um, he's, he's a proven Premier League manager who knows the territory in, in a way that Frank Lampard wasn't. Frank Lampard had a bit of it at, at Chelsea, um, the club where he's a legend as a player, but 18 months there um, for. Um, he left that particular job, whereas Dice for almost a decade at Burnley had them punching above their weight so much so as uh, such a revered figure in, in East Lancashire that you know that the Royal Dice, the, the pub, which is just in the, the shadow of Turf Moor, uh, bears his, um, his resemblance, mocks up as, as Henry VIII there, and um, still there um, at long, a year after he, he's gone because such is um, the, the popularity and the, the, the thankfulness for, for what he did for, for the Clarets, you know. Uh, a proud old club, but one very much the smallest market in the Premier League. Like I said, I think it was that year he took them to seventh was when he finished above um, Sam Allardyce's Everton, probably when his stock was at highest. He was actually mooted for the job earlier that season before Allardyce got the job when, when Cuban was was sacked. I know it eventually turned sour for him at, at Burnley last year, but um, he's, a, he's a manager. The worst comes to the worst, and it is, of course, unfortunately, a realistic possibility of Everton still go down. He's twice got Burnley promoted out the championship and he is somebody who you would hope long-term that he'd keep Everton up and would have a chance to sort of build on that and uh, build on what he's, he's done at Burnley. But if if things if he didn't actually get them all over the line, he, he'd be somebody who you could stick within the championship and would know the territory because and he's a great unknown for Everton if, if, if they do go down and is fraught with uh, many more dangers. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Joel, just to finish then, 
what are you hoping to see from Everton in the coming days? You hope to see them be quite productive, active, and get a new manager as fast as they can. Yeah, well, they've got two things to be looking at because, you know, time's of the essence. One's the managerial front and one's the player front. There is still time left in the transfer window. Now, I would hope that Everton would already have a list of potential managers that they sounded out. If, if, if this was a club that was being run properly, I'm not saying that it is, but I'm also, but I'm also not saying you know. I think Kevin Fowler's very good at his job from everything that everyone's telling me, and he seems you know he, nobody seems to be casting aspersions over his role within the world of football. And, and you know, I say that I haven't spoken to agents about him and players and things like that. So he may well have done this. Um, you would think that, or be it something that they didn't want to do during that six-week World Cup break, the way that that last week unfolded you'd like to think that there was some idea of drawing up a list just in case what happened after Christmas went went to pot and obviously it has gone to pot and they could draw on that. If they hadn't done it, then, you know, certainly by, if not after Wolves, and certainly by Brighton and Brighton was the 3rd of December. So that's 20 days ago. Now there is absolutely no excuse after Brighton to not be looking at it and thinking, right, well, who would we get in if we had to move now? So really that process should already be quite advanced. Um, so, you know, I would hope that they would move quickly because I think time is of the essence. I don't think that because of the transfer window. Uh, I, I think that just because at the minute you've got the best part of a fortnight to prepare for, for, for Arsenal and Liverpool. Uh, we can't write games off, but obviously you'd be daft to place too much pressure on on a, on a, on a manager for either of those. But we've got those two big games at the back end of February, Leeds at home and Aston Villa at home. So really, if you get someone in now, they've got a month to look at the squad really, before they go into that. Obviously, they need to be supported by signings, but they can't really come in with a list of their own players again. I think Farwell has just got to kind of work on that separately. And obviously, if the director of football is and, and, and the club behind the scenes is working properly, they should have their own plan that they stick to regardless of who comes in. Uh, so hopefully that'll be the case. And hopefully what we'll see is that, you know, they'll make a few moves. So we think Dan June was coming in. Um, if they could get one or two others, certainly another attacking player than then, then that would help. So, you know, I would like to see some clarity of thinking and some organisation um, around what around the, the setup at Everton, both in terms of the managerial hunt and in terms of the, um, you know, the the work being done to get some players. And also, and obviously, wrote this on the front page of Liverpool Echo a couple of weeks ago, uh, and keep saying it. I'd also like to see some proper communication now. You know, I have repeatedly raised questions about the levels of communication. Communication might not be the right word, but dialogue with the fans of senior figures at the club. You know, open letters, speaking to the to, to the fans isn't always the best way to do it. You know, um, we, we're now at the best part of quarter six, and there still hasn't been an announcement for any. You know, I think we you know, we we published our story. You know, what around three o'clock ish. So we're nearly three hours after the world broke the the Frank Lampard uh, sacking story. You think surely Everton would have had a story lined up just in case it was going to happen, but unfortunately that doesn't seem to have been the case. Um, so, but you know, I, I think communication with the fans about what is going on, what happens next, you know, those are bridges that have really got to be rebuilt if Everton's well had a chance of staying up because they need the fans on board because it's the club's greatest asset. Right, gents, I think we will leave things there. I think we've chewed the fat enough over Frank Lampard's sacking and where Everton go next. Remember to head over to the Liverpool Echo's website for all the latest developments on Everton's search for a new manager and the latest fallout from Frank Lampard's sacking. And we'll be back before the week is out with all the latest as Everton's search for a new manager less than 12 months on after they appointed Frank Lampard. But for today, lads, thanks very much for joining me. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast.
You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.